Hello and welcome to the campfire edition of the DC Wash-Up. This very intimate edition is brought to you by producer Roscoe Whalen from the confines of edit booth number one while the radio studio undergoes a renovation. Uh, joining me around the campfire today is North America correspondent Stephanie March. Can I kill the fake campfire music now? You can put it down. <laughs> And Connor, don't get too close to the campfire. North American correspondent Connor Duffy here as well. I may or may not be here against my will. (laughs) (laughs) So Donald Trump and I are back from our overseas trips to Europe. Um, Not coincidental. Coincidental. We didn't travel together. Um, But I've missed many things, it seems, in DC once again this week. Um, Last time on the podcast, Steph, you reminded me that you guys were talking about his trip so far and his success in the Middle East. Um, Today we will talk about his um, perceived failures in Europe (laughs) Um, and all the things that come out of that as well, which include um, allegations that Jared Kushner was trying to set up a back channel with Russia. We've got um, Donald Trump creating words late at night on Twitter and Kathy Griffin making images that are better left not made. So let's start off, Steph. Donald Trump, he was doing so well when he was in the Middle East. Then what happened? Well, first of all, for those of you who don't listen to us regularly, the reason we're in the edit booth pretending we're around a campfire is because our radio studio is getting replaced. So it's not like we just wanted a really intimate hang in a different room. Um, So Donald Trump, after he went to the Middle East and um, he hit Saudi Arabia and Israel, went on to Europe, um, to the Vatican, is sort of where it started to maybe go a bit south. He met with the Pope. He described it as one of the highlights of his life. Um, Some of the photos that came out, the Pope didn't look quite as jolly. There was one very, very um, powerful image of Donald Trump smiling like the cat who got the cream and the Pope looking terribly sad. Um, But apparently, according to Trump's aides, you know, the Pope was quite relaxed in private meetings and they talked about... um, radicalisation, things like that, Um, and they did get along quite well. Um, But it was really when he got to NATO um, in Brussels where he sort of started to not be quite as collegiate as he had been. He admonished NATO members for not paying uh, what he calls their fair share on defence spending. Um, And then where did he go after NATO? Then he went on to the G7 where he refused to agree to the Paris Climate Agreement, um, which has raised the ire of a lot of countries. And I think, for me, the the sort of real marker of it was when Angela Merkel came out and said, essentially, Europe can't trust the US and the UK as allies in the way that we once did, and we're on our own. Which, if you ask me, is sort of probably the biggest seismic shift in the global order since Trump became president. And obviously that hasn't tangibly amounted to anything yet. But if you ask me symbolically, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, as were the was the symbolism of the pictures, I think, of the EU leaders looking awkwardly on as um, President Trump publicly chastised them. It was like the father of the bride giving a clangor of a speech at a wedding and exactly very lukewarmly <laughs> endorsing uh, the man his daughter's about to marry. It was just absolutely awkward. You could see their faces in your TV package that night, Steph. Um, the visuals of them looking on as President Trump gave them both barrels in public um, was just incredible and a sign that um, 
if anyone needed it, that President Trump doesn't play by the rules and is going to continue to play by his own rules, despite what anyone says or thinks. And uh, it was interesting, given his campaign rhetoric against um, Muslims and the Islamic faith, talking about dipping bullets in pigs' blood and shooting them at people in the Philippines, that the warmest reception on his trip and the, the people he seemed to have the best time with were the Saudis where he did the sword dance. I do wonder as well... I do wonder as well, though, the um, the bar, I suppose, was pretty low for his you know, ability to connect with Muslim countries, considering, Connor, as you say, what he'd said in the past. Um, but I think because of his interactions with leaders in the past, like, you know, looking like he crushed Shinzo Abe's hand when he shook it and seeming to refuse a handshake with Angela Merkel when she came to Washington. I think Trump really does get scrutinised to a level that maybe maybe previous presidents do, but it really does feel quite um, forensic. And there was, you know, things like the handshake he had with Emmanuel Macron, the French president, where it seemed to go for quite some time for the cameras and it turned quite white knuckled and jaws were clenched and afterwards Macron said it was me sending a message it wasn't innocent I wanted him to know I wasn't a pushover um, and then there was the image of Donald Trump um, pushing past uh, the Prime Minister of Montenegro just seemingly oblivious shoving this st head of state out of the way so he could get to the front of a tour around the new NATO building. Um, Do you but think I it was President Trump's nod to state of origin this week for <laughs> listeners in the eastern states? <laughs> I'm from Victoria, I don't know what that means. Um, but I think, you know, definitely the the moments that you mentioned, Connor, like in Europe were definitely awkward, but also there is sort of a forensic eye on Donald Trump and every little step that he does. But that's why I do think, um, aside from all the sideshow sort of stuff, um, there was some serious stuff there and the NATO admonishment and um, Merkel's comments are pretty big deal things. There was a um, opinion piece that was written by National Security Advisor H.L. McMaster and Gary Cohen that came out, um, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, um, after the trip basically saying the president came into this clear eye, didn't think that it's a global community and instead is a series of nations competing for advantage and the American, America's the, the most powerful, the strongest, uh, has the most money, you know, we're going to use our advantage. I mean, do you think, many thought this was this opportunity for Trump to maybe you know, mend some bridges with some testy words, but it seems very much like Trump's going to pursue this course of America first. What consequence do you think that will have for America by pursuing America first that they might actually fall behind? For example, I'm thinking today the speculation that they'll pull out of the Paris Climate Agreement. Yeah, well, um, I mean, that would be a, hu a huge step for the US, although, you know, it's not unprecedented given that the US was one of the nations that didn't sign on to Kyoto back in the early noughties, and it's something of a return to form. But uh, at the moment, it would seem that they would be uh, together with Syria and, is it Nicaragua? Correct. Um, you know, <laughs> the trifecta. Yeah, that's right. Very odd bedfellows um, and very odd place for the US to be as a global leader. The, the piece you mentioned as well I thought was really interesting because it was essentially trying to put the best possible spin on President Trump's trip. And there was an interesting line where uh, the authors, McMaster and Cohen, promised that the US would be the best of friends to their allies, 
but also the worst of foes to their enemies. And it was kind of interesting that they didn't identify who those enemies were. It was just sort of a veiled threat, kind of similar almost to what Nikki Haley said, that we'll be taking names and you're with us against you're with us or against us and very different to the inclusive language of his predecessor. Yeah, and I think with the the climate deal as well is this kind of America goes out and potentially withdraws from an agreement which they were at the forefront of with China. They take themselves away from the table and do they lose some of their ability to negotiate in this sphere? Probably. And that puts, you know, rivals to America, China, even India, countries that are developing at a rate of knots still, that they now won't be able to control the agenda in that space anymore and won't be seen as the leader in this space. I mean, the America First agenda is obviously, in theory and in words, makes sense, but when you try to put that into practice, it's obviously a lot more difficult. Mm. And I think in terms of if you're with us or if you're against us, the definitively um, you are against us is Iran, and that was shown through the first part of Donald Trump's trip. But you're right, it's difficult to see how these other previous allies um, will fare in terms of that being a metric, you know, is it that binary? I do wonder as well, though, um, Donald Trump's rhetoric is always really strong and really powerful and quite braggadocious and blustery. But behind the scenes, you still do have the HR McMaster's Defence Secretary James Mattis, Nikki Haley. You've got the Rex Tillerson, um, the State Secretary, who are much more moderate and have in the past seemed to kind of come out and mop up after what the president sort of said. So whether or not it is quite as, obviously his words carry the most weight, but whether um, his sort of verbal threats and intimidation are as powerful as perhaps, you know, what the administration's capable of, I don't know. Like, just don't know whether it's sort of, um, it will take time to kind of see exactly what it all means. Yeah, and I think uh, the Paris climate um, discussions are a really interesting example of that clash behind the scenes and the division in the Trump camp because from what we understand Ivanka Trump is lobbying her father very uh, strongly to stay in the agreement and then of course there's so people... Tillerson, Secretary of State. Yep. Then of course there's people like Steve Bannon who would just love to see the US pull out. Interestingly there's pressure from the business community as well from Elon Musk saying you know threatening consequences in terms of his cooperation with the White House if the president pulls out and various people in the climate change lobby, although you might think that they would say this, would uh, believe that the US, um, far from being America first, will be handing China a huge advantage uh, if they pull out of this agreement in terms of the race to develop renewable technologies and the race to, to come up with the world's next big fuel. And also inside the White House this week, there's always a scandal. There's always speculation brewing about what's going on. What now? So Jared Kushner is the one who's in the firing line now, it seems, with a report um, released by the Washington Post on Friday night suggesting he had tried to set up a back channel directly with the Kremlin um, before Donald Trump was inaugurated as president. Now, Jared Kushner comes from one particular faction of those White House wars that you were alluding to before, Connor, and uh, supposedly Steve Bannon had previously called him a globalist and a Democrat, which is the worst possible insult you could get from someone like Steve Bannon. Um, How significant are these allegations, and um, where do we expect this Russia probe to go from here? Well, I think, like, most things in Trump's America, it depends who you listen to. We've got um, even sort of 
moderate, respected, independent voices in the administration, like HR McMaster, saying that um, there's nothing unusual about this, that people set up back channels all the time. Then, of course, you have the allegations that um, Kushner was so desperate to talk to Russia that he was willing to use Russian communications in a way that could effectively compromise both Russia and the United States to establish this channel. Um, all of this, of course, comes with the big caveat that we don't really know in any official capacity yet what's happened here. The White House uh, denials or evasions on the topic have been lukewarm, which does give some credence to the story. President Trump's tweeted seeming to reference these stories that they're all fake news. Uh, Jared Kushner's attorneys issued a statement and President Trump's given a statement to the New York Times defending him. But um, it's definitely going to be one to watch, especially if it does get to an open forum like Congress where witnesses are called and we get um, testimony more sort of direct from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And that would be interesting too, because I still don't know if we've ever seen Jared Kushner speak on camera. Oh, we heard him on a phone that. briefing the other day. Um, he sounds pretty normal, but still, he doesn't have a particularly um, high profile and didn't before, um, you know, he became a senior White House advisor. Um, to make it even more murky as well, I think the other aspect is that he allegedly met with a Russian banker that has ties to a Russian state bank that's been under US sanctions for three years, which, again, muddies the water very deeply and his lawyer has said he will come forward and answer questions but I suppose it's just a matter of when. I wonder though this, I mean Donald Trump's trip away was respite for him to kind of avoid all this stuff while it kept bubbling away. He didn't tweet about it while he was away, he just tweeted happy holiday snaps essentially. Um, as soon as he came back he was tweeting, you know he came back about nine o'clock at night by six in the morning he was tweeting about leaks and fake news and unnamed sources being made up quotes and stuff um, and it's clearly not just distracting the press, it's distracting the president and no doubt as the many investigations continue it's going to distract the White House because there's going to be FBI investigators in there issuing subpoenas, doing interviews and it's just a really all-consuming thing to be a White House under investigation. There's been talk that Trump um, and his officials are looking at setting up a war room which is essentially a separate communications branch of the White House to deal with this sort of stuff. Um, apparently the guy who was sort of for that was um, the Director of Communications, Mike Dubke, whose name I can never pronounce, who resigned earlier this week as part of what might be a bigger shake-up. But I really would be surprised if behind the scenes the White House doesn't do something to get out on the front foot because it's just too all-consuming. Sounds like a whole bunch of coffee feet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to me, what do you reckon, Cutter? This is the part of the podcast I've been waiting for. As friends of the podcast will know, I'm sometimes a reluctant participant and may or may not be here against my will. So that's going to be my distress code word from now on, Kofifi. Um, Spelling is? C-O-V-F-E-F-E. Correct. Um, for people who aren't aware of this, President Trump tweeted, I think it was close to midnight last night, I was up. Um, watching the new House of Cards when the tweet popped up on my phone. Um, and it's important to remember, Trump doesn't drink. This is not like a, the product of a bender. He's a teetotaler. <laughs> exactly. It's, it has all the hallmarks of someone who's perhaps imbibed a little, but obviously not in President Trump's case. There was speculation that uh, someone had knocked the phone out of his hand mid-tweet. Um, 
<laughs> what was the full? What was the full tweet? What were the words? It's been deleted uh, now. Despite the negative press, Kofifi, <laughs> nothing more. And then we had nothing more from President Trump until he woke up in the morning at five thirty, presumably, deleted the tweet, and then referenced his own joke and said, "Good luck working out what Kafifi means." So a rare moment of humour and light on the president's Twitter account. There was lots of speculation today about what it did mean. I actually saw it and thought, "What a load of malarkey!" To quote uh, Joe Biden. Um, but everyone really got on board with this because it, you know, either suggests that what is he doing up at midnight? He can't even send a tweet, let alone run a, a, a government. Or you know, why is he still tweeting things and he's such a loose cannon that he can't even draft a tweet correctly? I, I don't know. I didn't think it was going to be such a big deal, but. Some of the speculation about what it means has been just hilarious. I don't know if any of you guys saw um, Al Franken this morning um, on CNN New Day, Democratic senator, who said, I think it's Yiddish for I gotta go to bed now. (laughs) (laughs) I've just pulled up Urban Dictionary, which says it's a Russian word that literally translates as I resign. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, other people are saying it could be the code word for the nuclear passwords. Yes, that's good too. And Hillary Clinton speculated that it was a hidden message to the Russians today. So at least she's taking it easily. But I do love that, like, you know, Donald Trump, I mean, we all make typos and stuff, but this was a typo from, you know, the president that sat there for several hours. But then he made a joke of it, and he's like, good luck working out what this means. And literally the whole day... Some journalists have spent the whole day trying to work out what happened. And he's just right. Like, in terms of his ability to control the narrative, he can even turn a mistake into a win. That's right. And, you know, not to be too harsh on President Trump, but I suppose it was a reminder maybe as well that he's in his 70s and it was a bit like your grandparents trying to use new technology and, you know, pocket calling you or... So this is the thing, like clearly just, you know, typos. We all made them in probably the most relatable thing you can do. 18 hours later, yes, exactly. Sean Spicer stands up in an off the record briefing and says, off camera, on the record, on the record, off camera, sorry, getting used to these new briefings and said, it's known by a small group of his associates. They know what it means. (laughs) You've had 18 hours to come up with something, which could just be, ah, oh, yeah, he just made a typo and then deleted it. But instead they've gone with, it's a secret message that only a few people know. Why? Could that be Sean Spicer trying to troll the media? Probably. Probably it is, Steph. Sean's I trolling. I reckon they're all trolling us. <laughs> he's getting his revenge, and fair enough. I mean, he's got to clean up the president's, you know, um, missteps and gaffes every oh. day, and you just yeah, see him get right. hammered um, every day at those press briefings. So, <coughs> good on him, I say. I, I, yeah, I, I was gonna. I said to you before, actually, Connor, I couldn't quite work out whether it was me coming back from vacation and just being a little bit over it, or like, what have we got to in our coverage here? Because this. Kofifi tweet, which has, you know, encapsulated everything the media's obsessed with, obsession with Trump mm-hmm. today. And yesterday as well, we had that awful photograph that was released as some piece of weird art with Kathy Griffin holding a severed head that resembled Donald Trump covered in blood. That The fact that these are the two stories that kind of have taken the attention and the oxygen for the last 24 hours when there were so many more significant things going on, just... I said to Connor, I was like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can keep doing this. It's it's insane though, right? Like these kinds of things are just crazy that we're still dealing with them this far into the administration. Yeah, and the thing I think is crazy is like 
it's how we and the media writ large react that makes it ridiculous like yes the tweet was a bit ridiculous but if you let it go it just is what it is the kathy griffin tweet photo thing which i think was pretty extraordinary and now i think i think i read that the secret service is investigating which really? is really quite intense she's been dropped from cnn um the it's all how we react like if we chose to focus on all things russia um, but, you know, it is sort of, I suppose, the colour and the light and the shade of what this Trump presidency is. Also, I always thought Kathy Griffin was the smart one in that family. <laughs> Who's she related to? In a uh, family guy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Oh, yeah. why, why I suppose the dog that? was pretty smart as well. Maybe he was covering <laughs> for her all along. My, my last question on Kafifi is, am I going to be able to play that in Scrabble or Words with Friends now? Is that going to make it in? Is it yeah. a word now? Totally. Excellent. It makes me hungry every time I hear it. It sounds like a Greek dessert almost. <laughs> yeah, something light and fluffy. But remember when Donald Trump said he's got the best words? Like he told us that during the campaign. I've got the best words. And he's true. It's true. This is a great word. So thank you, Donald. All right. I think that's basically it. We've got something to look forward to next week. Supposedly, sources tell CNN and NBC that um, James Comey, former FBI director, will finally face the music and tell his side of the story in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. So that's exciting. That's like a soap opera teaser you just did there. It's like, stay tuned next week. <laughs> it's, yeah, it is. And, well, yeah, that's what this the kind of is. The, this kind of is a soap opera. Um, Connor, you're, you're going to be off on the road tonight and away again next week, covering something different as well. Bill, Bill Cosby's uh, trial begins. That's right. Um, America's dad, accused of being a sexual predator. Um, for people who followed the story, dozens of women have come forward and made allegations against him, which he strenuously denies. Um, this may be the only time those allegations are tested in court and... Um, it's going to be a huge trial, a massive media circus, and um, the outcome's going to be fascinating. See a little bit of cross-promotion for some of Connor's work there Indeed. at the end as well. Thanks for listening, guys. Next week we'll be back in a super-duper renovated radio studio straight out of 2017, the future. It's going to be great. The podcast is going to be better. I'm going to sound better, which is exciting. Um, Steph won't have to fight with Connor for a microphone. Mm. And if you hear me say, Kavifi, send help. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys.